1: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay authenticity guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you feel like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. And not just any experts, specialised experts. Real people who love this stuff, with real, hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
3: With a changing funding environment around NGOs and with shifting power in the world towards businesses, It would be very hard to understand how the sustainable development goals could be achieved without close cooperation with business.
4: We cannot have any children going to work in mining and that's something that all the companies worldwide have to to, to prioritise. These children need to go to school, they need to have access to health, they need to be dreaming of becoming a doctor or working in jewellery. How can we make sure that the things we're looking at here are not just beautiful to look at,
5: but are beautiful at source.
3: Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion, and welcome to the BOF podcast. This week, we have a very special episode in store for you. We're headed to the Basel World Watch Fair in Basel, Switzerland. Each year, movers and shakers from the watches and jewelry industry gather in Basel to do the business of watches and jewelry. In fact, one company executive told me that 30% of their entire annual business happens in this one week in Basel. But this year, amidst all of this wheeling and dealing, we held a special conversation about the future of sustainable jewelry. It was the first time that the Basel World Watch Fair has had this kind of conversation. And we were pleased to speak to a series of experts to understand how our industry and that of watches and jewelry can move towards more sustainability, thinking along the lines of the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals. This week's BOF podcast is brought to you in partnership with Shophard, one of the leaders in this important space. Today we have a very uh, important topic to discuss. And as Livia um, mentioned earlier, you know, sustainability has been a topic of great interest to those of us, our team at the Business of Fashion. And over the years, uh, we've explored these issues from a variety of angles. And what I found so compelling about today's invitation is that uh, we had never really had a discussion around sustainability as it pertains to the jewelry and watches sector. And of course, Chopard has been a leader in that space. And the opportunity to come here to Basel, I've never been to the the watch fair before. It's quite impressive. Um, it really presented an opportunity for us to learn a little bit from what Chopard has been doing, but also from uh, a, an esteemed panel of experts that I would like to welcome. Um, I would first like to introduce Lena Wendland, she's the advisor on business and human rights in the Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. We have Pamela Gillies, President and Vice Chancellor of the Glasgow Caledonian University, We have Cherie Blair, a leading international lawyer and campaigner for women's rights. We have Philip Fournier, general secretary of the Swiss Better Gold Association. And we have my new friend, Noella, who's the founder and CEO of Malaika, which is an an amazing, interesting foundation in the Congo. Um, I, I wanted to start today's discussion by grounding Are or kind of evening out our knowledge on the sustainable development goals so as some of you know the un um, last year um, put forth a series of 17 sustainable development goals with 169 different targets Uh, and of course uh, that sounds like a, a vast and very ambitious program and i thought perhaps before we dive into the discussion specifically on jewelry Uh, and watches, it'd be really interesting to understand exactly what the Sustainable Development Goals are and why they are so important. Lena, do you want to start on that?
6: Yeah, thank you. So basically the SDGs, as they're called, um, is the the UN's Global Sustainability Agenda. It's the Plan of Action for People, Planet and Prosperity, Um, that is is the world's plan for how to achieve um, a more fair and sustainable world by 2020. And the SDGs and the Agenda 2030 was adopted by the UN General Assembly, so it's the whole world that is behind. Um, It was developed through, I think, three or four years of very extensive consultation, participation with all stakeholders uh, from around the world. So it really is representing the aspirations of of the international community, but also very much of, of, of people on the ground. As you mentioned, there are 17 goals, 169 targets, um, that seek to realize um, these aspirations. We are very pleased from the UN Human Rights Office side to be able to say that 92% of the targets are in fact directly relevant for human rights. So the Sustainable Development Goals and the Sustainability Agenda is very much also a human rights agenda across economic, social, uh, uh, cultural rights, environmental rights, civil and political rights. The core message is the leave no one behind, so it's an an inclusivity agenda. Really, this is not about some parts of society, some regions of the world um, uh, moving ahead. This is about leaving no one behind. It's about every single man, woman and child in every part of the world. Um, And just to put a few examples, um, it's estimated that of um, between um, up to 48 million workers uh, currently uh, working as um, in conditions that amount to modern day slavery. Uh, 85 million of the 168 million child laborers around the world uh, work in what is the most hazardous conditions, which is a very serious offense under international uh, labor law. Poor communities lose their livelihoods, their access to health, clean uh, water, etc. Uh, as a result of, of mining, construction and all uh, agriculture. So these are just to, to put into perspective what are the kind of issues that the SDGs are trying to, to challenge. Um, do you want me to talk about the business role? Um?
3: Yeah, I mean I think it's what, what, what's, what's particularly interesting and I know I read about the Millennium Development Goals of the UN. And some of the criticism of the Millennium Development Goals is that they were not integrated with business. They were not created in a way that businesses could actually play a role. And with a changing funding environment around NGOs and with shifting power in the world towards businesses, it would be very hard to understand how the Sustainable Development Goals could be achieved without close cooperation with business. So could you talk a little bit about how that integration with business was conceived and why, why is it so important for the, for the achievement of these, of these goals.
6: I think you're absolutely right that there's been a huge um, shift in the, the role, the perception of the role of business since 2000 when the MDGs were adopted and at the time when the Agenda 2030 was adopted. A lot of things had happened uh, in the space. Business themselves were stepping up. Some business were pressured into stepping up. Um, we say we don't really care why uh, companies are coming to the table. The main thing is that they do and that they are, uh, um, uh, well intended to to make the difference uh, at the u n we 've had the u n global compact we 've uh, seen the adoption of a global standard the United Nations guiding principles on business and human rights which which very much um, was developed with business, with the active involvement of business, but also set some parameters around what the expectations are at the global level from business. So all this led into a much more active participation in the development of the SDGs of business than was the case uh, 15 years earlier, and uh, the, and that is directly reflected in the SDGs. We have one goal, Goal 17, which mentions the role of partnerships, public-private partnerships, but there's also a reference in the uh, agenda to the responsibilities that business have to um, respect human rights as they are being welcomed and urged and encouraged to also contribute to the realization of these goals. So basically, when it comes to um, to to the role of business in the SDGs. Um, We have four asks, if you wish, four expectations. The first one is um, that business um, both in the context of SDGs, but also, I should say, any other context, uh, put respect for human rights at the heart of of how business is done. That uh, while uh, companies go about doing their business, they ensure that they do not harm people. Uh, That's the baseline responsibility that every company have, and we have, as I mentioned, the UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights, which sets the framework and provides a roadmap for how to achieve that. Then um, the second one is the encouragement to engage in collaborative initiatives to tackle systemic challenges because many of the issues we're talking about, it's not the fault of one single company or one single individual or one single country even. They reflect uh, systemic challenges across value chains, across Political, geopolitical fault lines and requires collective action um, in order to be able to um, address them. And and thirdly, ensure and contribute to an effective regulatory environment. I think an important message as well is that business can and should not do this on their own. We can't say, okay, governments are failing, they're not doing what they're meant to be doing, so now we're looking to companies to do this. No, there has to be, and the role of governments in providing the the proper environment um, for for companies to to operate with respect and and do this contribution, positive contribution that we're all looking forward to um, is is necessary. And finally, um, uh, expecting companies to be accountable and transparent. Um, So it's fine to say we are doing good, we are contributing, but actually being able to also demonstrate and, um, and, and if challenged, being able to demonstrate how um, right. that positive, um, respectful behavior is being achieved.
3: And to be able to measure it, right? Because what's really interesting is that there's not just a, goal, a bunch of goals, there's a bunch of targets as yeah. well. And every organization, whether it be a private one or a public one, has a role to play in that. Pamela, you have some, some personal passion and interest in the idea of public-private partnerships. <coughs> I'm just wondering, what, what do you think happens um, around the world if companies don't engage with these sustainable development goals? What, what, is the, what is the risk to the achievement of the targets?
7: Well, as you know, Emram, I'm speaking to 32 CEOs in New York City, CEOs of the largest retail companies in the fa- fashion sector. And I can explain to them, now that we can measure these goals, that's what I love about the sustainable development goals. They are tough targets, like no poverty, but you know, there are intermediary things we can measure towards that ultimate goal. And we now have evidence that we can share with these great businesses to show them if they don't engage with the goals, then their profitability will suffer and their productivity will suffer. So, they know they should engage because there's a moral requirement to do so for people in the planet. But, you know, if you can show them that if they engage effectively, then they will still be profitable, and in fact, could be even more profitable, then you get wholehearted engagement because they've got their little shareholders on their shoulders.
3: The other party that they have on their shareholders is the customers, right? What role do customers have to play in kind of sparking some of these companies? Not not all of the companies are as proactive as Shapar, but you know, there's a lot of companies that are still not actively engaging. I mean, how, what role can customers play in in getting these companies to start engaging with the goals?
7: I think there's definitely a social movement now. There's an awareness uh, that customers, especially young customers, are really interested in sustainability. So I think that's the first thing. And I think most of our CEOs in big business do understand that, their challenges, how to meet the sustainable goals whilst maintaining Profitability.
3: Can I give you a wee example? I would love an example. Because,
7: you know, we can help our, our CEOs to make baby steps along the way that will then encourage them to make the big step to dealing with some of their human rights issues in their employees in Africa or in Bangladesh. We worked with a really famous company which used to put little metal pins in all of its dress shirts for men and the number of pins they'd use would stretch from New York to Los Angeles and back again every single year. And they sourced these from China. So by showing them how to fold the shirt without needing the pins, they saved $2.3 million a year, and of course, they reduced their carbon footprint. And the male customers saw no difference, and in fact, liked the fact they'd made this change. But from that baby step, We now have that major international company looking at how they can can actually invest in paying more to their employees on the ground and creating educational opportunities and health opportunities, because that can impact productivity by 4.2%. So measurement's critical. It's the evidence base that can actually shape a new future, even for the recalcitrant companies.
3: Oftentimes, when people think about sustainable development, you know, instantly what comes to mind is the environment. But actually, a big part of sustainable development is human rights. And Cherie, that's where you have a great deal of experience. And I wondered whether you could talk to us a little bit about you know, that very specialized point of view that you have on how human rights fit into these sustainable development goals and the things that companies like Chopard and others in the fashion and luxury goods industry should be thinking about.
7: Well,
5: First of all, can I say, I really applaud what Schopard has announced today. Um, You know, there's so many beautiful things that we see uh, as we've passed through the halls here. And, you know, people love beautiful things, and they they have them because they want to feel good. But if, in fact, you know that that beautiful thing has been created on the back of uh, someone who's exploited in the mines where the gold comes from or someone who's exploited where the diamonds are being polished or uh, someone's exploited in, 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 in factories that make the boxes that these goods go in, then they lose their luster. So there really is uh, an important business reason why Beautiful things need to be pure in, not just in, in carrot, but also in heart. And the heart of that is the people who make them and who along the supply chain take them on that journey. And that's what this, this is all about. It's about making sure that there's dignity for everyone along that journey. And that's a whole spectrum of, of, of things that, that are going on all of which play into, as as Lenny said, the um, sustainable development goals, which are, if you like, our aims where we want to see the world. And then the rugby principles, the guiding principles for business and human rights, which actually lay some ground rules for businesses about, well, how if I want to be Uh, a good corporate global citizen, somebody that people feel comfortable that the beauty I'm giving them is, is absolutely right down to its core. How do I go about that? And of course, you talked about the business case. And that's very important because in today's world, with interconnectivity and people knowing about things, you can no longer say, and Noelle is here. What goes on in the Congo stays in the Congo. Because what goes on in the Congo is a, a mobile phone photograph away from worldwide uh, condemnation. Uh, so we are finding that the consumers are more interested in this. The investors are more interested in this, as you say, because suddenly when you're asking yourself, is this a, a reliable, sustainable investment? Is my money going to be safe? What you don't want to find is that suddenly... Look at Facebook. Its shares have suddenly gone down. And, you know, data privacy is actually a human rights issue. So it can really affect the shares. So there's no point firefighting after the event. But neither is it just a point of paying lip service to what this means. You really have to start to understand and embed it in your culture. Because sometimes you're doing things without realizing...
1: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
2: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.
9: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef-grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off-limits. Luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.
5: Now this is what we lawyers call soft law. This is all about pressures and pressure groups that lead to uh, a change in attitudes. But on top of that, of course, we then have the, the, the framework, both internationally through the principles and then in nationally. We are now seeing governments becoming more interested in this and starting to implement laws. So take modern slavery for a moment. Do you know, no one was talking about modern slavery even 10 years ago, well, certain people, some of us have been in those panels before, but now people are very, very aware about what is happening and across the world. And one of the things that's happened in my country, in the UK, and in many other places now, we're from Australia, to California. Even, um, even some places like Qatar in the Middle East are trying to say, we need to make sure that we treat uh, the people who work for us better. So in the UK, we now have a requirement for large companies to publish a modern slavery report and say what they are doing to ensure that their supply chains are not uh, being tainted by, by slavery. Now, It's only a reporting obligation. There's no teeth. But nevertheless, it's been very interesting to see both the reports that the companies have brought out and also the reaction to those reports. And just in the very act of having to think about these things, it leads to perhaps you looking at a different way about an aspect of your business. And as you say, sometimes looking at it a different way also has financial benefits. The other thing, the that, that, that big human rights issue that's been happening and has been affected by the law in my country at the moment, of course, is our gender pay gap reports. And we're very conscious again because fashion and uh, film industry all come together. So we've seen the Me Too movement. We've seen the, the, the arguments about equal pay. And now in the UK, companies who employ over 250 employees have to publish their gender pay gap. And surprise, surprise... There's not, been a com- there's not been a company yet that's been able to say there's no gender pay gap. Um, in fact, if they did, I think people would probably think that something is they not. The truth. They weren't telling the truth. But what has happened is that we've seen not only a, a, a pay gap, sometimes 30, 40%, the big accounting firms, 30% difference, 40% difference in the, their median pay to men and women. And then if you look at their bonuses, men are getting 70% more in their bonuses than women. Now, is this just natural? Is this the way it is? Or is it about systemic flaws in the business model that carries on doing things the way we've always done with very serious consequences for their employees? So it's about getting ahead of the curve. Because I don't think we're going to see the end of just reporting. We're going to see governments taking more interest in this. We're going to see more governments. There's a European directive coming in, so across Europe there's going to be uh, more reporting on human rights uh, obligations of a company. And the scrutiny that that will lead to uh, is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity, because it's an opportunity that. Chopin has illustrated to grasp that and to say, this is what we stand for as a company. This is what we're about. This is why we are a global citizen that you can be proud of investing in. You can be proud of working for and you can be proud of wearing beautiful things made by us.
3: Mm -hmm. One of the... uh complications in managing issues like human rights and sustainability and some of the other issues that have been raised today is that supply chains are not completely vertically integrated, right? So many companies in the world, they have outsourced partners or vendors or um, sources where they get the raw materials to make their goods. And Philippe, you're an expert in the, in the sourcing of gold, which is obviously a really, really important part of, of this industry. What can you tell us about the kind of supply chain of gold and other precious metals, and how companies in this industry should be thinking about managing supply chains, which can be quite broken up. It's not all owned by the company itself.
10: You're right, Uh, value chains are very complicated from the mine to the market. But I will talk more specifically about what we have been doing with the Swiss government uh, in a public-private partnership for the last uh, five years. And I'm very happy and very proud that Shopar is joining us in these efforts uh, as of this year, and uh, I promise we're going to do our best to supply the volumes they need. Now, this idea started in 2013, on the public side is the Swiss government, more specifically the economy secretariat. And on the private side is the Swiss Better Gold Association, with Chopar today. And also some historical members like the Swatch Group, UBS, the uh, Cartier, all the large Swiss refiners, PAMP, Metalor, Argor and Valcambi, and also Presinox. Fair Trade is part of the association also from the beginning. And uh, what we have uh, been doing is focusing on the artisanal and small scale miners, gold uh, uh, miners, in Peru for the first period. Uh, helping them getting to certification level, fair trade, fair mind, or RJC, and then creating the value chain from these small artisanal mines to the uh, brand or bank at the end of the chain through the complex refinery, and all the other processing uh, suppliers that you have there.
3: But before, we, before we talk about the actual public-private partnership, I think it's really important for us to under- understand the challenges that exist. So when, when you're sourcing gold or other precious metals, where do things break down? And then, of course, we can talk about the solution, but I think it's important f- for people to understand what the problems are first. OK,
10: so the, the artisanal and small-scale miner uh, uh, ecosystem in the world is, is very complex. You have estimates from the UN, uh, about 20, 30 million people working in that activity. Five million women and kids, we don't know exactly, but that's the estimates the UN are giving. We're talking about 2,000 tons of mercury being used, roughly, uh, nobody really knows how much, every year getting into the lungs of the kids or getting out in the, in the river, in the Amazon, or any river in Asia. Uh, you're talking about uh, risks for the kids that are in the mines, especially in Africa, where they send them because they're smaller, they send them in the mines, in the, in the small holes, it's easier to send kids. So you're talking a, a huge environmental and, and social and human issue. So what we have decided with the Swiss government is that we cannot start everywhere. We have to start in places where there is some governance, or a good governance, like Peru, Colombia now we are extending in Colombia and Bolivia, where the authorities are supporting us. It's very hard to start in a place where you don't have the support of the local authorities, not because they don't want, because they can't. So in, in Peru, the first few years were very good and positive. Of course we have challenges, and, uh, and uh, you know, we cannot bring enough gold. As you have heard, you know many brands like Chopar uh, or Cartier don't have enough of this gold. But we have seen uh, a, a positive trend. We have seen that more and more artisanal miners in Peru want to make the changes, to get to certification level and supply directly international Swiss refiners, rather than selling their gold to corrupt uh, in-betweeners in Lima or in other areas in, uh, in Peru. So by making the chains more direct, selling directly from the small mine, directly to a, a, a reputable refiner, uh, and then this refiner can, of course, sell directly to the brands, we, we are removing a lot of the issues. So uh, also what we realize is that the reality on the ground in these countries, and the level that the standards like Fairtrade and Fairmind are, the gap is far too big most of the time. And we have seen that has been a, a big obstacle to scale up. So what we did with our members, uh, we implemented that uh, end of last year, and we ho- I hope we have the first concrete results this year, is we have created a what we call a minimum criteria, which uh, you have to imagine that as a bridge between the reality on the ground and the certification schemes. So it's a way to bridge that so that these artisanal miners have access to the international markets at an earlier stage where they'll see the benefits and improve their practices much faster.
3: I um, see. Noella, you bring a very interesting perspective uh, to this conversation because uh, through the work that you do in your home country in Congo, you see the impact on some of the people that you know. Philippe was just mentioning, the real people that bring some of these raw materials out of the earth. Can you talk about you know, what you've observed directly in your own country and you know, how maybe some of the stories or observations you have about you know, the impact it can have on real people at the end of the day?
4: So hi, hi. thank you very much for inviting us and congratulations Chopin, for all the work you're doing in ATCAL. You know I've been traveling, uh, last month I was in Senegal, I've been to Johannesburg and I'm, I'm two, three times a year in Congo, and I go with my children there, too. I'm seeing lorries living. Uh, I was born in Lubumbashi, one of the richest provinces in the world in time of mining. You have the cobalt, the co- you have coltan in the east side, you have the uranium. You're seeing everyday lorries living living through Zambia, going through Johannesburg. The problem is mining companies sometimes go to countries and they say, okay, we're gonna create community program. We're gonna create a school, a hospital, waters. First of all, can you listen to the community? What is their needs? What do they want? They want good salaries. They want good living. They want to work in good conditions. We need to stop bringing the materials out of the country. I do think we need to them and transform them on the country and then going. And secondly, we don't see any woman. When you go to all this mining, when you talk, if you go to the most of this conference, there's not enough women trading, there's enough women in the mining sector, there's not even one African woman as president in Africa, or even as a first minister, maybe, maybe one country we have in Africa. So there's a completely new way of thinking the young generation that's like I said this morning, is 60%. And this new generation knows what's going on in the world through social media, reading. They don't want to be beggars of the the supply chains. They don't want to be beggars of the mining. They want solutions. They are eager to learn jobs. They want to be educated, but the solution neither is uh, we need to create more vocational trainings for them to be like working in the the supply chains or to have access to jobs, not not only they can have uh, going to university, but you 're seeing where are the mining in all these countries that are very rich in africa there 's hardly no infrastructure children more than seven, 7 million kids doesn 't go to school in congo two hundred and sixty three million out of school worldwide one million children still working as artisanal people working in the mines. Nowadays, if we talk about sustainable development goals, we cannot have any children going to work in mining. And that's something that all the companies worldwide has to, to, to prioritize. These children need to go to school. They need to have access to health. They need to be dreaming of becoming a doctor or working in jewellery. And these people that are working in mining, do they dream one day to have... A, a necklace or a ring? Do they dream to have an iPhone 7 or 8 or being on social media? No, they don't have access to that. So they're feeling the new generation feeling we've been colonized before, but now we are economically colonized. Okay.
5: But I think the point about all this is, you know, we, you can't expect business to do this on its own, and that that's why going back to the Sustainable Development Goals, going back to the to the principles, it has to be a cooperative venture on so many levels
2: because as as as, you,
5: as as you said you know you can't do everything if the government isn't isn't cooperating you know and we have corrupt governments you know there are people in the congo who are very rich indeed and who are taking the people's wealth for themselves and that's not just in in, in the congo then you have to also have cooperation with ngos particularly as, as noella says NGOs on the ground because they're the ones who actually know what's going on and they're the ones who have the voice for the people. And then uh, you also, of course, need to have the help of business, not just um, because business has great skills in finding solutions. I mean, these are the things businesses are are good at, but also because businesses are, are citizens like the rest of us and we all benefit when everyone works together. So this is not something that Chopin is going to be able to do on its own. But what it can do is is set an example so that people in this building here today start talking about, you know, how can we make sure that the things we're looking at here are are not just beautiful to look at, but are beautiful at source?
7: I I would agree with that. And I think Chopin has shown leadership In this arena. I think business can demonstrate leadership and if we get peer networks of very senior business leaders. Paul Pullman was a a lone voice for many many years but now at Davos in January I heard Indra Nui from PepsiCo talking about the need for sustainability. So you know we're on the cusp of a really big movement happening and if all of these CEOs and in public uh, companies and privately owned companies can show the leadership that Shopar has and come together with other organisations. We really can shift this because we've only got 12 years yeah. to meet some of these targets.
5: And we it, do need laws for that as well, actually, Yeah, yeah. because in a sense it's fine if um, good companies do it, but if their competitors are undermining that by, by not uh, complying, complying with these standards, then it, it is more difficult. Uh, And that's why you need governments to pass the laws, because it does ensure a level playing field. And it does ensure that people are held to account. And that's a good thing.
3: So um, thank you all for your perspectives, because I think the combined expertise of this panel has really helped to frame the challenge and the opportunity on so many different levels. Thank you for joining us on the BOF podcast this week. This is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of the Business of Fashion. We hope you'll join us next time. And in the meantime, don't forget to check out BOF Professional. BOF Professional is your competitive advantage in today's turbulent times. If you have any feedback for us, don't forget to leave a comment, share with your friends, and you can now email us at podcast at businessoffashion.com with any of your ideas on topics or guests for future episodes. We'll see you next time.
0: You know, that's the sound of another sale on your online Shopify store. But did you know Shopify powers selling in person too? That's right. Go to shopify.com slash B-O-F to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash B-O-F.
9: Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? For me, I got a chef grade range recently, and now I'm cooking new things every single night. Seriously, no cuisine is off limits. The point is when we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has an exceptional capability that will have you seeing possibilities you never knew existed. It's advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. I can picture myself with a car full of groceries, cruising down the highway, soaking up the sun with the available dynamic sky panorama glass roof. Ah, pure bliss. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.